Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. 12 shows, 12 themes, 4 presenters and 1 topical talk. Is it worth it? The Film Review Podcast presents Topical Talk. Hello and welcome to Topical Talk, the show that takes a random topic or movie genre and pits them against each other. I'm Craig and on today's show I'm uh, joined by a numerous people. Uh, introduce yourself, guys. Hi, it's Shivani here. Hello, it's Bloss. I'm David Long and we're also joined by... Me, Herbie Hilsden, as your temporary overlord, deciding which of the movie choices goes into your box set of ultimate movies. Lovely stuff. Uh, today's episode is episode five, sequels. Shivani, if you'd be so kind to give us the definition for this month's episode. Well, I was struggling with whether it was just sequels, um, as in a film after the first one, but I decided that... Um, any film after the first one is a sequel. It's just, you know, the, the sequel, the sequel, you know. Um, also, I was wondering, in the uh, in the box set, are we going to include the first one and the second one? Because obviously, including a sequel is a bit strange. So, 13 films overall, maybe? I think that does sound fairly uh, reasonable, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Shivani, for defining sequels for us. Um, let's start the show with round one. So round one begins with our first movie that spoke to us as the ultimate sequel movie. Shivani, kick us off, please. Okay, so my first one, I have chosen Spider-Man 2, um, a Sam Raimi film from 2000. Um, yeah it's one of my favourite superhero films and I think it's an excellent example of a sequel being I think better than the original Um, it's I think it's like objectively everyone agrees that it's a genuinely really really good film Um, the whole film is paced very very well it's entertaining um the whole plot of um, uh, Doctor Octopus, I forgot its name, um, is kind. Of, it kind of feels like a subplot um, because the whole time you 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 just are concentrating on the main character whose life is terrible, and it's it's very entertaining. <laughs> um, like you just you have so much sympathy for this character. Um, I think it's just a very, very, very well-made film, and it's a very, very good sequel. Um, I think the only thing I could do with that is Kirsten Dunst, but that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) I love this film, Shivani. Spider-Man 2 is one of my favourite superhero films still of all time, and it's just the way it captures comic book essence in in the film so well. Sam Raimi is a fantastic director, and it's really interesting now that he's actually coming back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe to direct um, Doctor Strange 2. Um, So I'm really, really excited for that because if he can do what he did for Spider-Man 2, not what he did for Spider-Man 3 because 
that was just woeful. Um, oh no, I I disagree. I re- I quite like Spider Man Three. I don't oh, know why everyone gives it so much hate. No, come on. <laughs> like, that's a whole debate there, but I I quite like it. It's uh, a decent film. Have you watched it recently? I because I, I have. I, and... I, recent um, might be maybe a year ago, but I mean Spider Man Two is just it just highlights how good it is, and Spider Man Three. Let's it down. I mean, mainly because he just goes into this this state of emo ness and the oh, emo dance scene. Picks up on that. That's just awful. It's the no, worst scene it, in the film. But surely, like in that in the whole time he's he's dancing around like an idiot, um, and all, doing all that. No one, no one is thinking. Oh yeah, he's a really cool guy. Or, like, everyone has got the same reaction as us, so we're meant to laugh at him. And it's quite... An, it's just funny. I don't know why everyone hates hates emo emo Peter Parker so much. <laughs> I think it's because it's Tobey Maguire ever so slightly. He just doesn't <sighs> fit that role at all. Oh, I disagree. He was the perfect Spider-Man. No, he was, he, he, he was the perfect Spider-Man up until Spider-Man 3. I, I strongly disagree, but that's a whole other debate. That we can talk <laughs> yeah, about. Back to Spider Man 2. David, what was your thoughts on Spider Man 2? Yeah, I think Shivani's spot on. Um, I mean, the critic uh, scores on Rotten Tomatoes is 93%. It also gets an 82% score from the audience with over a million uh, reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It's, it is a brilliant film. I just think it, the, the plot's great. Um, it has much sort of deeper emotional tones. And it's just a really good superhero film. I think it's arguably better than the first one. Um, and Tobey Maguire is the, is the Spider-Man that I grew up on. Um, and I actually remember seeing Spider-Man 2 uh, in the cinema. I think I would have been about 13 years old. And I just mm. thought it was absolutely awesome. And anyone who listens to the main show will know that I'm not the biggest superhero fan. Um, it was actually this trilogy that got me into superhero films. And I think Tobey Maguire is great. Um, the villain in it's really good as well. And yeah, it's just a really enjoyable film. And I think critically, it's probably received better than the first one. I mean, I don't have the first um, film's Rotten Tomato scores to hand, but I would be surprised if it was higher than the sequel. Mm. Shiv- uh, not Shivani, sorry. <laughs> Floss, what did you think of Spider-Man 2? I think the interesting thing about Spider-Man 2 is it's with time it's more impressive because later Spider-Man films have shown us that it's it's difficult to make a good Spider-Man sequel because there's now been a couple of really bad ones like Amazing Spider-Man 2 or sorry Shivani Spider-Man 3 that is <laughs> so in retrospect I like this film more I wasn't like into superhero films when this came out really because I was about eight and I was into Lord of the Rings instead which I'll talk about later um but yeah this is a very excellent superhero film that's my thoughts cool and Um, does what a sequel should yes which is um you know it's the it's putting the, the character through enough struggles to change them slightly yeah that's a very good point Herbie, uh, any thoughts on Spider-Man 2 very quickly? Well, I will say quickly, very first, so none of you can disagree, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is very underrated, but moving on to Spider-Man 2, oh, oh. I think... No, no, I'm, I, I went so quick, you can't disagree. Okay, I right, think sure. I think it comes in a very interesting era for superhero films after the original Spider-Man and after X-Men, 
both of which were very cartoonish. There's a lot of parallels, and I think Spider-Man 2 really helps to modernise the Spider-Man film because the first one was unlike anything in its genre. I mean, X-Men was the only other superhero film at the time in the early 2000s, and they both felt very cartoonish, and this one develops a lot of it. It feels far more interesting and deep and and, and plot-heavy, I think. And yeah, I think you're right. It, it does everything a sequel should in continuing a plot while also challenging a lot of the ideas that came up in the first and building it to become a better film. So yeah, I think a really good choice. It's a really, it's a really incredible film. And it's one that years later I think about and I think, God, that's good. I haven't seen it for several years. And even then it, it lingers so well in the memory, just how good so much of it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it ages very well, even considering like all of the superhero films that we've seen hasn't lost its charm or value at all, which is impressive. Absolutely. Well, well done, Shivani, on picking Spider-Man 2. David, you're up next. Sell us your first choice. So my first choice in the ultimate sequel is Toy Story 2. Uh, and I'm going to start in my usual place with the Rotten Tomato scores. It gets an unbelievable, perfect 100% from the critics and it also gets an audience rating of 86% and again like Spider-Man 2 that's with over a million reviews and I find it really interesting what Rotten Tomatoes says. Rotten Tomatoes says the rare sequel that arguably improves on its predecessor Toy Story 2 uses inventive storytelling, gorgeous animation and a talented cast to, to deliver another rich movie going experience for all ages and I couldn't agree more um, the Toy Story franchise is a classic and perhaps Disney Pixar's finest achievement and Toy Story 2 really is um, a joy of a sequel and not only has it got amazing Rotten Tomato scores but it also saw success at award season winning the Golden Globe for best picture comedy or musical which for a animated film I think is quite some achievement. It also won at the Annie Awards. It won Outstanding Achievement in an Animated Theatrical Feature. Um, but what's the film about? Well, when Woody is stolen by a toy collector, Buzz and his friends set on a rescue mission to save Woody before he becomes a museum piece with his roundup gang, Jesse, Prospector and Bullseye. Um, why do I think this is such a good film? Well, firstly, we get more character development from the characters that we love in the first film. We get to know them more, their, their character journeys progress. But there's also fantastic new characters, Jesse, Bullseye and the Prospector, all add a really new and interesting selection of characters into the mix. The animation, in my opinion, is flawless. It's gorgeous animation. I couldn't believe it, actually, when I looked it up. Toy Story 2 is actually from 1999. It makes it over 20 years old. And the animation is just brilliant. The script is watertight. Um, it's got a really fun and engaging plot. And what I love about Toy Story as a franchise, but particularly Toy Story 2, is that it's perfect for children, while also having plenty of humour for adults. For example, there's a nod in Toy Story 2 to another great sequel in The Empire Strikes Back, and I just thought that that was a really funny scene in that film. Toy Story 2 also has one of the most bizarrely addictive and oddly satisfying scenes in Pixar history, when Woody is cleaned so thoroughly by that old man. I don't know if it's <laughs> yes. a great scene. I, I don't know if anyone remembers up. that scene. It sounds like you do. With that music playing in the background, that brilliant Randy Newman score. And this 
toy store this toy is just brought back to its original glory and his eyes shine and his and it's just so addictive and he's got this little mini tool set that he uses to clean the toy i just love that um i love that scene and i just think genuinely hands down it's one of the best sequels um ever made and that may sound like a, a, a ludicrous statement for a disney pixar film but maybe it's because i saw it in the cinema aged eight um and I just fell in love with the sequel. But I just think Toy Story 2 is a brilliant sequel for all the reasons that I've stated. And I'm hoping that everyone is going to be singing off the same hymn sheet when it comes to Toy Story 2. What did you guys think? Loved it, David. Um, it is up there as being one of my faves in terms of Pixar movies. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's the best sequel of all time. Um, I think there are other ones that are slightly above it. I mean, it is a great, great, great sequel. It does exactly what you said. It builds upon the characters. Uh, it, it develops them further. It has some really wonderful, heartwarming scenes. Mm. Um, it does so much. Um, and and I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy watching the movie. Um, and I, I remember seeing it at the cinema as well. And it, it just brings out that great, you know, nostalgic feel of being in a cinema the smell of popcorn um all of those things that i absolutely adore about going to the cinema mm. and it always reminds me of that time of sitting in the cinema watching toy story 2 um or other movies that i saw as a kid like flick the flintstones that was one of the first films that i ever saw <laughs> i have real fond memories of watching these films in the cinema and that is why i love it so much as well though they're the main reasons but yeah i mean Hundred percent, love it, love it, love it. Um, Shivani, we'll go to you first. Uh, yeah, no, I, I love the Toy Story uh, franchise; absolutely amazing. Um, and yeah, the second one I think has to be my favourite. Um, I think you, yeah, you touched on the um, Star Wars reference, but there's also a Jurassic Park reference when they're in the uh, the toy store. Yes, um, and Rex is like chasing them behind them, and they can see it in the mirror. Um, there was another reference. I'm pretty sure I noticed years ago. I can't remember what it was, um, but yeah, no, I think it's a pretty solid choice as a sequel. Um, yeah, very good. <laughs> Floss, how about yourself? You guys have kind of said it already, but I was thinking of the scene in which Woody's being like overhauled and improved it's like a big flex of how far the animation had come and yeah it's a really pleasing scene to watch i don't know why it's like yeah, when you watch it really is so so satisfying like car renovation i don't yeah. know if anyone ever watches that it's really pleasing yeah i used to watch pimp my ride or pimp your ride or whatever it was that was quite satisfying <laughs> but nowhere near what you're on the same path as what i'm saying here sorry for calling woody a car <laughs> Yeah, what a film. Yeah. And the sequels were all good. So like that's that's unusual. Definitely for a, for a series of movies to all have outstanding plots and character development. I mean they're not all as you know as good as each other. There are certain ones that I say might not have done quite as well, but Toy Story <laughs> 2 is up there as being one of the best for sure. Herbie, your final thoughts on Toy Story 2? Yeah, I think another excellent choice. And it's it's similar in a way to Spider-Man. It's quite interesting looking at the two together because Spider-Man and Toy Story were both pioneers in their respective fields in terms of bringing back superhero films and in terms of animated movies. And so to see Toy Story 2 build on and develop and like Floss said, do just be able to show off what they can do with the medium 
both in terms of like you were saying with the animation and with the plot and with the way it builds upon itself it toy story the first one is a little bit simplistic and certainly not in a bad way and this one really develops that and and takes the characters we know and turns them into something so memorable and so interesting which is incredible for a film about talking toys absolutely fantastic floss would you like to give us your movie please my first choice is star wars uh the empire strikes back i feel this is kind of like the sequel of all sequels because as we just heard with toy story like they reference this in everything this is like ingrained in public conscious so much it's it's kind of like a watermark for what a sequel should do so it's from 1980. I didn't check Rotten Tomatoes scores. I feel like it doesn't really need that. We we know it's good, unless you hate it, in which case, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and this is, I don't know. What can I say about this film? Like, explain the plot? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think most people generally already know the plot, but for those that maybe haven't been on this planet, um, definitely explain the plot. I haven't seen it for years, so I, I, I wouldn't mind a... Uh, well so well i'll just try and keep it short they they are uh, we've got we've got han leia luke chewy we've got the whole gang um they destroyed the death star at the end of the previous one but stuff is not all good and they kind of they get split up they they go their own ways there's betrayals Luke has to like do some growing up, some learning, and and there's some he learns some bad stuff about his life, and it kind of ends on a bit of a like tentative place for our group, bit of a cliffhanger. Sorry, that was a bad a bad description. Everyone no, it knows wasn't, this no, film. No, it was. It was really it was so spot on. <laughs> yeah. Definitely spot on. Um, we obviously, uh, Kyle Belcher and Ranjit Namra and myself, we did the Star Wars Complete Saga review. And this came out as the number one Star Wars film. And there's a reason for that. It's because it is just picked up from the first one. It's It takes a lot of the story and turns it on its head. It develops the characters that we absolutely love from the first movie and 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 throws lots of twists in there that no one really genuinely saw coming and it's just well beautifully well done um it also i think if i rightfully am sure on this one george lucas took a step back from from directing it and it had a different yes, director and it uh it, it sort of reined in lucas because he was sort of adamant on doing a lot of things that perhaps he shouldn't have done in the first one um and it just sort of made the story a bit more believable almost in some sense it it grounded the gap the characters and had a lot more believability in it um what i'm very much so interested in is actually hearing david's thought because i'm pretty sure this is his first time that he's watched this movie oh wow um, Yes, yeah, so ladies and gentlemen, this is quite a big announcement, but I have lost my Star Wars virginity. So um, I I have been meaning to watch all of the Star Wars for so many years, but the problem is, is that more and more Star Wars have come out recently, which I haven't been able to see because I haven't seen the original three, four, five, and six, and then one, two, three as well. Um, so I started off by watching A New Hope, which I, I really enjoyed. Um, but when I watched uh, an M- The Empire Strikes Back, I was just amazed at how many, like Floss was saying, 
having come from someone who's never seen Star Wars, how much culture and how many lines in that film are quoted on such a regular basis, how much nostalgia there is surrounding this film. And I've got to say that I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I I didn't struggle with A New Hope. I struggled with the first half of A New Hope. I struggled to get into it. Obviously, from 77, some of the technology now looks a bit dated, although it was revolutionary at the time. But it was the complete opposite with The Empire Strikes Back. I I was captivated. I, I loved the character development. I loved where the story went. I loved the cliffhanger that it's been left on, and I'm looking forward to watching the rest of the series. Um yeah, I really, really enjoyed this, and I was just amazed at how much of the plot that I knew and how many of the twists that I knew without ever having seen it, and that's just testament to how good a film it is. Absolutely. Um, Shivani, would you like to come in here? Um, yeah, I mean, well, obviously, as I said, I haven't seen it for a long while. Um, I have been meaning to rewatch the original trilogy um, for a while, Um the the prequels stick in my head a lot more because we used to watch them. Well, they kind of we grew up with them a little bit more than the um, the original ones. Um, so I, I have I have those in my head much clearer than the older ones. Um, and the new uh, films, I, I can never really get into. Um, but yeah, no, I I really do like the original three. Um, yeah, I mean. There's not much I can say in, that hasn't already been said, I think. It goes without saying. Would you like to summarise your thoughts as well? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it's 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 one of those films that's had so much said about it. What more is there to say? It is honestly a triumph of filmmaking, in my opinion, and the opinion of, of most people, I would say. I think, like I said, with, with the other two films, they take the first one and develop and challenge what's been established to really build on on the universe, on the characters, on everything, to create a really satisfying next chapter in the story, which I think is especially good with this film, because A New Hope, I don't know if it was designed that way, but it feels very much like it could have been a standalone film. There's still a couple of like loose ends to tie up, but really A New Hope could be watched on its own as a Star Wars film, and the fact that Empire Strikes Back comes in and does so much with what's been left is 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 nothing short of incredible in my opinion. I had one more thought that I forgot to say earlier, which was that um, the first, because the first film when it came out was you know not really like anything else. There was kind of a sense of is the audience up for this kind of thing? And then when it turned out they were, this film now had a license to go like twice as big with everything. Um, and it's interesting because I feel like there's different kinds of sequels. There's sequels when, if you're adapting a trilogy, um, you can have from the beginning how each one's going to slot together. And A New Hope didn't mandate a sequel, but I think the fact that they had one and it was so it was so seamless. Because, yeah, it could have been a standalone, A New Hope, but nothing in the second one felt forced or like well they want more so we're just going to improvise some stuff over the top that's why i think it's a masterful sequel and 
fantastic great choice there floss uh so it's now time for my my one and i'm going with die hard with a vengeance from 1995 uh, this is bruce willis reprising his role as john McClane, the cop who seems to be in the wrong place at the right time and ends up getting the shit beat out of him but yet he <laughs> ends up winning the day uh director of the first die hard john mctieran returns to direct this one uh, and the sandbox has expanded from a tower building to new york city and our bad guy is the brother of alan rickman jeremy irons no less um old willis is joined by sam jackson um who plays a harlem shopkeeper named zeus yep Zeus. Uh, they run about town disarming bombs, solving riddles and following clues while stumbling into traps uh, that Irons has set for them. Now Bruce's character has had some development within this film and he's fallen on hard times and uh, now his past is sort of catching up on him as well um, but what do we get after throwing Alan Rickman off a building? Uh, Where well, you get Jeremy Irons of course and he comes in <laughs> full of vengeance uh, and he has fun with the role and it really shows. It's also great to see sort Bruce Willis bouncing off Samuel Jackson. Uh, their rapport is great, and they're, they're you know you're just rooting for them for the the pair the entire time. And it is truly a really fab sequel. And it is number three in the sequel list here for the for the Die Hard trilogies. Trilogies is like four of them, isn't there? Um, in my opinion, it is the best one. Um, and we won't mention Die Hard 4.0 because that was just a complete no no. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think of Die Hard with a Vengeance? Shivani, we'll start with you. Oh, sorry. Um, so unfortunately, I didn't get to watch. Uh, I haven't actually watched any of the Die Hard films. <gasps> yeah. Um, oh wow. That's that's as big as a, a mishap as not watching Star Wars, maybe. <laughs> but well, I've yeah, no, I watching haven't. Star Wars now. <laughs> oh yeah, and and Lord of the Rings though as well. You know. Um. Yeah. No, so I haven't seen any of them um but i'm just looking on the on the uh, rotten tomatoes and stuff and it seems like so the first one's got 93 and the third one has 52 um I, that's just the critics and everything but um yeah what, what i i wonder what about this particular film is like good for you because it seems they seem to like as sequels go sort of um lower an expectation as you go down um but what about like specifically for you what about this is good well like i said in in uh my selling it to you guys the reason why i picked this one was the second one was a different director um they tried to continue what they did with the first one which was obviously sort of introducing bruce willis as this cop that can just save the day he's almost like a superhero um it had a lot of humor in the first one but the the humor in the second one kind of failed for me it didn't really hit off where it the first one kind of did um and then in comes die hard with a vengeance and the, the third one and you've got this much bigger you know playground with new york city you've got an extra character in there that that bruce willis is able to play off with samuel jackson he, you know he plays zeus this this shopkeeper who is just great with his hands and they disarm bombs together and you know um bruce willis's character john mcclain is now an alcoholic he's split up with his wife um you know there's there's so much more character development and depth to him uh, while you got Jeremy Irons, of course, in that background, being the antagonist who, you know, who, you know, who do you improve on with Alan Rickman? Well, you don't improve, but you just sort of sideways to 
to Jeremy Irons, of course, because he he is such a fantastic actor, and he's sort of the same sort of caliber as Alan Rickman, in my opinion. Um, I felt that the antagonists in the second one didn't really have that improvement. They were they were a downgrade in some respects, um, and Jeremy Irons was much more of a, I suppose an ideas man in this film and he really had some great riddles and clues set around New York that they had to do. It was like a giant escape room essentially. Um, and I, and I, it was a real thrill watching this one for me. Um, David, your thoughts? Yeah. So I have very fond memories of the first Die Hard. Me and Craig went to see that in the cinema together. Do you remember that Craig? I do. It was Christmas. Yeah. Um, in terms of Die Hard with a Vengeance, with, with Craig's synopsis, I have seen this. Um, it was many, many years ago. I, I, I think I watched it at university. I think we actually watched all of the diehards in, in a couple of days. And all I would say is I think Craig has explained very, very well why he thinks it's the ultimate sequel. And to be honest, I, I, if I was to talk, it would just be regurgitating what Craig has already said. So, I mean, like he said, Jeremy Irons, Samuel L. Jackson, Bruce Willis. I mean, what more could you want? That is such a cast. It is uh, floss. Have you have you watched it recently, or have you watched it? At all? I haven't seen them for a while, but did a little refresh because um, they're not. It's not exactly my kind of franchise. However, I can't deny that what they do, they do very well. I was thinking. I was just thinking while you guys were talking. Is this kind of an example of a sequel that is shaped by the reception to things? Like, did they bring in? the brother of Hans Gruber because that character was such a hit, probably. And that's quite a cool thing to have a sequel that is, you know, shaped by not just what the writers want, but what the people want as well. Yeah, It can be dangerous, but it's cool in this case. Yeah. And also made me think of, um, did this possibly spark in Fast and Furious how you have, uh, what's his name? Luke Evans plays the villain in one. Yeah. And then Jason Statham plays his brother, a new villain, in the next one. Like, did this start a trend for the next villain? Or, well, not the next one in this case, but a villain coming back who is a family member of a previous villain. I mean, it might have done, actually. I hadn't thought of that at all, but it's a really great one to, for me to end, mm, you know, to sell it to you guys a bit. Point. <laughs> just popped into my head just now. <laughs> Love it. Um, Herbie, would you like to surmise your final thoughts on the final film in round one? Well, I must confess that I have not seen a single Die Hard film either. But obviously the first one is so embedded in in culture that everyone knows about it. Everyone knows what happens. And my only question, because I was trying to think of how to challenge what you were going to say, but you actually answered my question because I was going to say, why did you pick this and not the second one? And what makes it more of a definitive sequel in your eyes? And I think you've really sold it to me in the way you talk about how it how it brings these characters together and how it just builds on what's already been established to to create a new story to create something interesting and fun because to me that's always what die hard should be about and and like floss like they're not really my sort of films in general but they need to be good within what they're trying to do and and you've certainly sold that to me for die hard with a vengeance fantastic yes um so we're going to move on to round two um thank you for joining us on round one um see you in a second (laughs) 
Okay, uh, it's the final round of this week's episode, and we'll put forward our ultimate, ultimate choices. Uh, Shivani, kick us off, please, again. Okay, so anyone who knows me will know how much I love this franchise. Um, I have picked uh, House of Chain Your Dragon, The Hidden World, which is the third one in the trilogy. Um, and since they came out, I, I've absolutely been obsessed with these films. Um, they're so charming and just incredibly satisfying to watch and they look incredible as like as the films go on you can see the improvement of the technology and animation and by the third one it's absolutely stunning um completely completely in awe the whole time you're watching the film um the reason I picked the third one and not the second one um cuz I I watched them fairly recently like in one sitting all three of them and just back-to-back comparables I think the third one has to be my favorite and I think it's the 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 most well-rounded um in terms of a film maybe bar the first one the first one's just incredible um but I yeah I I absolutely love these films and I think from what I remember of you guys reviewing it when it came out because it came out last year um that you guys really liked it as well um but yeah it's, it's incredible film if you haven't seen it it follows hiccup and toothless the dragon um and they sort of go on their little adventures and oh it's just so lovely (laughs) (laughs) yeah shivani i know you're a big fan of the uh how to train your dragon um movies um i remember watching the first one and just being absolutely absorbed in this viking cartoon animated world and just being obsessed with Toothless, this amazing, fantastic dragon. It kind of reminded me this world of like Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh in this kind of weird way in the sense that you have these dragons or these characters, these these creatures that are, I don't know, just sort of coming together with this the man-made world of, uh, you know, man and, and beast coming together sort of thing. And, and I really, really enjoyed that. But it was so much better than Pokemon and so much better than Yu-Gi-Oh! in that <laughs> sense. Um, and there was so much more heart and love and, and, yeah, and so much more backstory to it that I just loved it so much. And when I finally got around to seeing the third one in the cinema and reviewing it for the main show, I just remember being in the back row. There was hundreds of children in the cinema and every single one of those children were just equally as invested in the series and clearly just you know, blown away by what they were seeing on screen. And I just remember it being so vivid in colour and nature and um, just, yeah, just absolutely loving it. And I think, David, you were the same, weren't you? Yeah, I absolutely adored this film. I think it's very, very difficult with trilogies to have a a third film that rounds um, a trilogy off, but this does it perfectly. And there's something so loving and warm and just honest. I think that's one of the things I would say about this film. It's honest and I can really relate to the characters. The animation is great. Um, I'm really pleased. I mean, I know I've I've got a reputation for roasting Shivani on this show, <laughs> but there will be no home of the roast here. This is a great selection. Fantastic. Uh, Floss, your <laughs> comments. <laughs> um, well, like similar feelings. I was a big, I'm still a big dragon fan. I love dragons. These are the films I wish that I had when I was a kid. Um, 
they're just very nice and yeah beautifully animated i think you guys have kind of covered it i think this is that rare third film that keeps it together which not many series can do not even star wars <laughs> when the second one came out um everyone was completely impressed with that and it was, it was incredible then the third one came out and it was even better and i just didn't understand how they did it i was so impressed yeah herbie your final thoughts on shivani's last choice here well <laughs> i'm gonna offer my first hot take of the episode in oh, no. i was in I was so Be disappointed careful, with this Herbie. film. I, th- I think the second oh, one no. is is by far the best. I think the first one is an excellent starter and one which people sort of thought, oh, really? And it turned out to be a really excellent, beautiful, interesting film. And the second one, I think, builds upon that so brilliantly. And the third one was just such a letdown. It followed oh, the exact no. same plot of the first two while doing it worse than the other two. <laughs> all three films. Entirely. All three films are essentially let's do a little bit of exploring, either on or without a dragon. And then let's find an alpha who can control all the dragons. He's going to cause some problems. Let's kill the alpha, and everyone can live happily ever after. In some way, you like every single film. Here today. <laughs> I thought you already were mine anyway. Every single <laughs> film features the main antagonist being able to control dragons in some way, and that being the obstacle to, obstacle to overcome. And this one did it in the least interesting way. And I think part of my issue was, and this is <laughs> this has been an issue for me time and time again, where I look up the background for the film and what was intended, and the original intention for the film was for the villain from the second one to return. But the director, is it Dean Dubois? Yeah. Is that you say his name? Was discouraged from that by Steven Spielberg, who was discussing like the story, because he felt that you'd need far more than one film to go into Drago's background and sort of talk about that. And so what we ended up with, I thought was far less interesting than what I was hoping for. So part of it is due to my own expectations. I fully admit that. But I do think it's... It's the worst of the two sequels to House Train okay. of Dragon, and I do think the second one is my favourite. Well, I think okay. uh, the Overlord right. may have made a decision here. <laughs> counter-argument now. now yes, I, I love a counter-argument. Right. So you mentioned that they all have the same plot of the antagonist being able to control dragons. But now I really don't want to give away any spoilers, um, but considering the ending of the last film, that makes complete sense the reason that the end that ending happened was because dragons could be controlled so easily and it was dangerous it makes sense in terms of the entire story everything was leading up to that point and i i don't see how you can think that all three are the same film like they're just they're just not the first one was just (laughs) in a small world and he all he had to do was train this dragon and then he had to prove himself and then his father accepted him that was the first one the second one he's trying to prove himself to himself and he's trying to find out who he is and that's the second one the third one he knows who he is and to come to terms with the fact that things are going to change and he can't stop that because you know the the whole entire world is collapsing in on him essentially and he has to make a decision and i think they're just they're in terms of like 
how well-rounded a trilogy is they 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 just complement each other so well and his story is so clear to me and it makes complete sense and i disagree with you entirely <laughs> no, I, I think i think you make some very interesting points there and i don't i don't actually disagree with any of them and i, I see exactly what you mean and how it builds up to the ending and how that is necessary but i just think once again, because of my expectations and because of what I read and because I liked the second one so much, I thought the villain in the second one was far more interesting and that, and thinking about it, I can see why what the villain does in a third one does lead to it because it's different because it's a human who has the power to control dragons rather than a dragon implicitly. Like the dragons are still being controlled by people, but in the third one, it's entirely a person, a human who has learned how to control dragons. And that's where the risk, that's where the danger comes from. But he just wasn't as compelling for me as the plot, as any of the events in the second one. I think if if they're sort of jiggled about slightly, if they'd switched places, I would have appreciated the hidden world a lot more. Obviously, it needs a lot more story changes and just switching the villain. But I think if you had a sort of rough villain switch with a couple of other changes about in terms of character, in terms of plot, it would have worked a lot better for me with... Um, the second one being the final entry in the trilogy and the third one being the second one because then for me it follows a natural increasing in the stakes mm-hmm. I, I again I disagree I think the villain in the third one is isn't as important as Drago was in the second one so again like with Spider-Man 2 the villain is, is almost a subplot it's just he represents a threat that is the in, that is closing in on them and that's the reason that whatever happens happens um i i don't think it like devalues the stakes or makes it any less intense i think it was in terms of the second one and the third one i think they they're in the right place i think the third one rounds it off better than the second one did I think Shivani, you've you've done your absolute best here to sway Herbie. I don't think Herbie is going to budge on this so much, but uh, we do have to move on. And David, it is your chance now to sell your final film. So, if you are looking for the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate sequel, look no further than The Godfather part two i will of course start in my usual place with the rotten tomato scores it gets 97 percent from the critics and 97 percent from the audience it also sits at number four on the imdb all-time film rankings list which makes it the highest rated film of any put forward in this episode let's start by talking awards this film won six oscars including best picture Best Director and a Best Supporting Actor win for the fabulous Robert De Niro. It also received a total of 11 Oscar nominations, including five acting nominations. Yes, five acting nominations for one movie, and I'm sure you'll agree that is just sensational. It was also the first ever sequel to win a Best Picture Oscar. Can anyone name the only other film to win a Best Picture Oscar that was a sequel? Oh, oh. No, uh, go on. Um, only to be matched by Lord of the Rings Return oh, of the yeah. King. Yeah. Yes. Um, so it was the first ever about. sequel to win a Best Picture Oscar. Um, in terms of why it's such a great film, 
Um, it works as both a sequel and a prequel. So what is the film about? Well, the film looks at the early life and career of Vito Corleone in 1920s New York City, whilst his son Michael expands and tightens his grip on the family's crime syndicate. So you've got two films for the price of one. You've got the continuation of Michael's story, which we see from the first film, and we also see the origins of the godfather of Vito Corleone. Um, why is this the best sequel of all time? Well, I think it's the best sequel of all time for a number of reasons. The plot is brilliant. Like I said, you get two films for the price of one, and both are captivating and brilliant in their in their own right. The screenplay is absolutely flawless in this film. You hang on every single word that is said. The direction is superb. The cinematography is striking. Um, and also the production design is sublime. It captures 1920s brilliantly. It captures the late 1950s brilliantly as well. Um, but for me, what makes this the greatest sequel of all time is not only the plot and the production design and the cinematography, but ultimately it's the acting. Like I said, the acting is draw, draw, jaw droppingly good. Um, <laughs> So good that I can barely speak. Like I said, he got five acting nominations for one film. And the amazing thing about The Godfather 2 is I actually rewatched it last night. Um, it still stands up now. I think it still stands up. It is very long. It's over three hours long. Yeah. But I think it still stands up now. And if anything, it's like a fine wine. I think it gets better with age. And the thing about the the whole, well, not so much Godfather Part 3, but The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2, every single gangster film that is ever made is compared to those films. And if you haven't seen The Godfather or The Godfather Part 2, you will have heard of it and everyone will say, oh, that was like The Godfather Part 2 or, oh, oh that reminds me of The Godfather. Just masterful direction, brilliant acting, and in my opinion, the greatest sequel ever made. I think uh, this is a, an absolutely brilliant film that you've put forward here, David. It is clearly the gold standard in sequels in some respect. However, my my only my only criticism of this film is that it is so so long, and I do feel like it flags in the second hard, half just a little bit. Um, but. Nonetheless, this is the film, as you say, that is compared to for every gangster film. They they compare against it every single time. This one and the first one. Um, and The Godfather is ingrained in just popular cult, classic culture, isn't it, really? Like, everybody mm. knows The Godfather. Everybody knows some of the famous scenes that happen perhaps in the first one and in the second one. And it is just because of this that it is such a great sequel. Um, it builds upon, as you say, everything that happened in the first one and gives you a prequel for for the bonus price of one movie. And it is um, it is just such a, a great film. Um, and I'm interested to hear everybody else's thoughts, if you've seen it, if you haven't seen it. Um, it is one of those films that, as, as we all know, people know about it. But have you all seen it? So Shivani, we'll go with you first. Okay, so I got through half of the first one because I hadn't seen any of them and uh i had some te technical difficulties so i wasn't <laughs> able to finish it um, um but yeah no i i i was really annoyed i couldn't finish it because i really wanted to um what was i gonna say it's i can see like in, even in that half of the film um i recognize so many quotes so many like references from films that i'd seen like everything is referencing um the godfather and empire strikes back it's ridiculous um yeah i i 
there's not a lot I can say, but if I have seen, if I had seen them both, I would 100% agree with you, which is rare, David. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think they are probably some of the greatest films um, ever made. Floss, let's go to you now. So I have not seen the Godfather films because they are so iconic that I want to be able to watch them properly and absorb them, not not rush to get them done for and be on the lookout for things things to criticize so that my film will win instead if that makes sense <laughs> and they are very long so i have not seen the godfather films okay. i plan to <laughs> maybe you can let us know by the next episode if you have watched any of them that'd be cool yes <laughs> herbie then as the overlord give us your thoughts well, I'm, I'm I'm a poor overlord today, unfortunately, because I also haven't seen any of the Godfather films, which has been a, a constant source of consternation for me in the many years since I started taking films seriously, that I have not watched it. What, it's one of those films that's so ingrained in popular culture, though, I do know a lot about it, you know, that they're constantly referenced, they're constantly said about being the greatest films of all time. So I would ask one thing that I do know about the pre, uh, about Godfather 2 is that obviously some of it takes place before the first one and some of it takes place after. Does that make it a full sequel? This is me genuinely asking. I'm not trying to play devil's advocate. But is it a, a genuine sequel if, if a lot of a film takes place before the first one? I mean, it's titled Part 2. I think that... <laughs> you cheated, Marnie. <laughs> that would suffice. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I, I know that, but I'm... 2 is a prequel. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. Sorry. That was not relevant. No, no, I, I, I know it's, 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 it is a sequel, but how much of a sequel is it then? I mean, what I would say if... is, uh, I would suggest that about eight, 70 or 80% of the film is a sequel. When you have okay. the flashbacks, the, the prequel parts they are giving context to to the story and it also adds as a bit of a buffer and a bit of a break because it is quite a heavy and, and dense plot that these flashbacks add clarity and they also reveal really interesting character development that makes sense for what happens in the first film. So a lot of the flashbacks, you then go, oh, wow, that really makes sense to what happened in the first film. Um, but yeah, no, it's, def- it's definitely a sequel. It's more of a sequel than a prequel. I am really excellent. interested that's that. to, to... Sorry. Sorry. I was going to say, excellent. That, that sort of answered my question because I was interested because I'd seen a bit about it, about how it takes place before. But yeah. like, like Shivani said of her definition, in, in that a sequel continues a story and in what yeah. I think a sequel should be and that it challenges and develops the original story, that certainly does in that way that it uses the past to help inform the present and the future. Yeah. Okay, then. I think... Is there much more that anybody wants to say on The Godfather Party? The only, The only last thing I want to say is that if The Overlord doesn't pick this as the greatest sequel of all time, I'm going to have to make him an offer he can't refuse. <laughs> 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 Sorry, had to get it in there. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> Floss, your final choice, please, for Topical Talk sequels. I have gone for The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And so if we're talking awards and stuff, this isn't the one that got all the awards. That went to the third one. But I don't think that reflects on the quality of this one. I think all the awards went to the last one in the series because that was 
you know, that's the time that you do it. And that was their last chance. Because, yeah, this really is like one long film in three episodes. And I think this is an excellent sequel because, again, it's the thing where the fellowship is broken. You have all these, like, all these different plots happening. They're all juggled really well. Um, it was very groundbreaking in its effects and technology. It introduced Gollum, who is, yeah, another new benchmark for motion capture. Started the conversation about can you can you Oscar nominate an animated performance? Um, think of all the the epic stuff that happens in this film, like Gandalf the White coming back, well appearing. And the Battle of Helm's Deep. Think of like the the cool emerging friendship between Legolas and Gimli. Um, I mean this it this carries on stuff from the first film, develops it, changes it, but also then sets the scene for the the epic final chapter. And this is, I think, obviously you can't put everything from the books into a film. But I think this is a a good adaptation and they did very well in in choosing how, I'm not explaining this very well it's a good it was a good pre-planned trilogy rather than a trilogy that evolved out of demand yeah I think I think my, my thoughts here is that Pete, Peter Jackson had planned for this to be a three movie thing but had created it as although with the intentions of making it as one big massive movie and the rare thing that happens there is that this cohesiveness between that between these three films is just so it's there like you know that these are almost just one big long movie and the second one does everything that it, you you would require from a second movie by connecting it the first one to the third one you know the beginning to the end sort of thing um but it does it with with everything that you you've basically just said there especially with andy circus's uh motion capture performances um everything that he's done for the industry has been incredible and that his work with peter jackson has been you know an, an absolute masterpiece for for cinema in terms of moving us onto a new era in terms of technology and stuff um and it has brought forward a lot of those things. Um, I, I love this film. Haven't seen it for a while. Haven't managed to get round to watching it again for this episode. But um, it is it is just again a new sort of cult classic. You know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is classic, isn't it? Really now. Um, and yeah, just a brilliant, brilliant choice for for oh, sequel. I think. I forgot to mention the music. I forgot to mention the music for Star Wars as well. But I think with Lord of the Rings in particular. Everyone knows the different, there's like the different motifs for different things, like the theme of Rohan, and then the theme, like the really dark theme for stuff like Isengard. Oh, sorry, I get goosebumps at the music in this. <laughs> sorry, yeah, carry on. Being on the playlist at work and literally, like, I think it was Canadian Hobbits, and I was trying to, I was, I was almost coming to tears every time I heard it. <laughs> So, Shivani, your your thoughts on this film? Um, yeah, I, I love all three of them. They're amazing. And it's interesting you say that it's one film that they did to three because the book is like that. The book was written as one book, just the entire Lord of the Rings, and then split into three to sell as as um, 
three different books, and then eventually I think it was split into six as well, which is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it's, it is <laughs> one epic story, which is just I can't like I can't fault any of them. Um, if I had to pick a favorite, it would probably be Return of the King, but I'm not contesting your choice at all because blimey it's just incredible (laughs) i could have gone for could have gone for either but i thought if i go for the second one that's one less film that everyone has to watch (laughs) but david (laughs) that's yeah that's fair what did you do so um well i'll I'll start with a, a brief bit of history i couldn't remember which one of the lord of the rings trilogy that i had seen but I do remember both me and my father went to see it in the cinema and both of us fell asleep. Um, this, <laughs> wow. This, this led to me having quite a negative view on Lord of the Rings for many, many years. But since doing this podcast, my eyes have been opened and I've been much more um, inclined to watch fantasy films. And I watched all three Lord of the Rings films in about a day and a half. And... The first thing I will say is they are long, and to me it does feel like one film literally split into three. But I really, really enjoyed them. Like, I I watched all three of them because I didn't have to watch the third. Everyone said, why did you watch the third one? I watched the third one because I wanted to know, how did it end? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And it, it was great. And in terms of the two towers, obviously Gollum... Um, is one of those characters that, you know, with the whole My Precious quote, like everybody knows that quote. I knew that quote even before watching this film. And Gollum is one of those cinematic characters that is just incredibly well-known, like Darth Vader, like uh, Vito Corleone, like The Godfather. Gollum is just very well-known. And I, I loved The Two Towers. I think it's the perfect meat in a very delicious sandwich. Um and Oof. particularly that bread <laughs> analogy. You haven't had one of these for a while. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, you've got two lovely pieces of bread and then in the middle, you've just got a delicious filling. And that is the two towers. And that bit at the end where Gandalf comes back for that epic battle. Forgive me, I can't remember what it was called. But that Hell's really deep. sent... Hell's Deep. That really sent shivers down my spine. And that was just like, yes, come on. The, the score is brilliant. The acting's great. Yeah, do you know what? Lord of the Rings, I really loved it. And I think The Two Towers is a great, great sequel. Fantastic. Herbie, as the overlord, your thoughts on this? Well, I adore The Lord of the Rings. Oh, uh, thank God. It's, it's, it's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry, Shivani. Um I won't be disagreeing as much here. But I, I think it is by far my favourite film series of all time. I adore every single one in the series and and The Two Towers has always been my favourite. I love, and I think that's me in general, I do like stories that have a little bit more open ending and it, it you can, because you can see what they build into and it was quite interesting how you were talking about um, how it was sort of filmed as one and all that stuff and it literally was all filmed as one over the course of just over a year between 1999 and about the year 2000 from like October 1999 to I think December in 2000. So they were all filmed as one. And that's why it feels like such an interesting, cohesive story, not just because of the source material, but because there was so much care and love that was put into absolutely every element throughout all three films. And I do think The Two Towers is is my favourite of a series because it's just so interesting seeing how the characters split up, seeing how they go their separate ways. And the way they bounce off each other and the way they just 
live in this world, I think is absolutely incredible. And I just, I just adore it of all of my heart. And it's just incredible. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is, well, okay. So I guess that's everyone's thoughts on, on the Lord of the Rings summed up. Uh, unless, Floss, you have any other things you want to say about it? No, I just, this is completely unrelated, but I think I said I was eight when Spider-Man 2 came out, which yeah. is definitely not right because I was seven when I saw Fellowship of the Ring in the cinema. And that is not good maths. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Carry on. Okay, well, I think it's time for the final film then, uh, and that is from me, and it's Before Sunset. Now, as discussed in the romance episode of Topical Talk, I chose Richard Linklater's um, Before Sunrise, um, and uh, this is the follow-up Before Sunset. Um, It's my final choice on today's Topical Talk for sequels, and as sequels go, this is by far one of the best. Now, we're left on a cliffhanger in the first movie before Sunrise, and it's the subsequently it's been subsequently left nine years before we revisit our beloved characters who quite clearly fell in love in their first uh, day and then night walking around Vienna. Uh, things have moved on in these nine years, um, and we needed answers. Uh, and I can't bear to think what it was like uh, being one of those people who uh, had to actually wait nine years to actually see <laughs> the follow-up sequel. Um, so, you know, where where are they? Were they together? What the hell happened? Uh, well, we pick up with, with the uh, two guys meeting up in Paris, no less, and we are, as the audience, um, falling in love with them all over again. Ethan Hawke and Judy Depley revisit uh, their completely believable characters hawk as jesse and julia celine uh, and they've aged the acting has matured but the spark that made the pair so believable is still ever present um and uh you know what does this uh, what this does so very well is expand on the first film with any of it without any of it feeling forced uh, the dialogue is what makes this such a rich beautiful experience one that will stick with you uh, for a very very long time um but that's not to mention the stunning streets of paris uh, this to me is utterly the best sequel ever it absorbs me it keeps me engaged i'm involved and i don't want it to end and at one hour 20 it does it in such great time um if you haven't seen before sunrise um and this before sunset i urge you no in fact i demand that you watch <laughs> it um with a massive 95 percent from critics and 91 percent from the audience on rotten tomatoes this has to be up there for herbie to pick as number one without a doubt um david will go to you first craig i'm so sorry i've been i'm not i i, I might do a shivani i was watching this and then i had some technical difficulties no um <laughs> i haven't i haven't got round to seeing this my friend it is after you put forward the first one and now the second one this is 100 percent on my to watch list but i'm afraid i haven't got round to seeing these so i can only apologize as a good friend of yours i apologize it's incredibly disappointing to hear that david incredibly uh, well i've let you down again <laughs> shivani what about you well so i did watch these Ooh, i can't wait for this i've been so excited <laughs> <laughs> and craig i have to say um that I absolutely loved them. They were yes. great. <laughs> um so I watched the the first one and then the second one and then I kinda had to watch the third one. For the same reason 
um, David had to watch Return of the King, I just wanted to know what happened. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I just... I, I was, like, enthralled by their conversation, and I loved that it was just two films. So, basically, the length of The Godfather of them just talking um, <laughs> to each other and it was great and I really really it was very charming um, both of them I, I have to say I preferred the first one but the second one was excellent as well and I loved that it was an hour and 20 minutes that was so cool yeah um, I think the last time I saw a film that was an hour and 20 minutes was like the, I don't know uh, some, <laughs> some children's film that you know can get away with being that short yeah, I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> this this just goes to prove something, doesn't it? Though that film can be um, is getting longer. People they just seem to be making longer and longer films to try and cram as much as they can in there. But yeah. with a shorter film, this shows that you can really still develop characters and have such interesting, in-depth conversations between two people and get such a con- deep connection with these with these two guys like Ethan Hawke and Julie Depley are amazing and you just really invest in their two characters so so much that you almost just feel like you want to be there with them and you are a kind of in a way you're like a fly on the wall in this like developing day basically trying to understand what happened to these two people or or what did happen how are they going to reconnect or not reconnect what's going on and you've just really been waiting for this for such a long time and I genuinely you know if I watched the first one when it first came out I'd be agony waiting for the second one to come out. Yeah. Nine years they had to wait <laughs> for crazy. a sequel. Yeah, and I binged watched them, which is like one after the other. So not yeah. like having to wait 18 years to watch all three of them. That's exactly. crazy. But it's, it's, it's like a statement thing for Richard Lindlanker to do something like that. With Boyhood, he shot a film, you know, over the course of a young boy's life using the same actor. He's done that again, or he did that. With before, you know, this is the, the start of that. Which is with before sunrise and before sunset. He started off with that one, and then moved on to the sequel nine years later to pick up where these actors have aged. Their their acting has got better. You know, um, things about them have have changed, and you get that through their characters as well. Because if you film this two years later, and it's supposed to be nine years later. Them as people, actors as people, they haven't matured, they haven't changed. And I see so clearly why they've done it this way. And I think it's just a brilliant concept and a brilliant, brilliant movie. Um, Floss. So, oh, wow, my voice. Um, I also have not seen this series because it's another one that I want to dedicate the proper time to and watch when I'm in the right mood and be able to absorb everything. So I haven't seen them. I hadn't seen them when I did the romance one either, which is reflects badly on me. I'm very intrigued to watch them, but I don't have much to offer today. Okay, that's fine. Please, please. Go on, go on, Shivani, go on. Sorry, I just wanted to say that I think the reason um, the second one works so well is because you already have this expectation of, or like you already have this hope that you want these characters to end up together. Yeah. And right from the beginning, you you just, you just see them going on this sort of upwards and downwards journey and you're going upwards and downwards with them because they're just talking, but every, like there's so much happening and there's sort of lots of drama and things get revealed really nonchalantly and you're like, 
ah, no, let's not do that. Sorry, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> That's cool. Um, I'm really glad that you've watched them and you binge watched them and that you really enjoy them. So I'm um, I'm really pleased with that. Um, Herbie as the Overlord, what about yourself? Well, actually, I did get around to watching these quite fortunately. Ooh. Because partly owing to the fact they are such short films. It's only three hours, I think, in total for the first and the second before sunrise and before sunset, which is very helpful in trying to watch stuff before an episode, I must say. And, yeah, I, I think I agree completely. It's such a rare sequel that picks up the story years later and tells it in an interesting and satisfying way, which is just really nice to see. And I think it's interesting seeing how different I'll, I'll go into this more a little bit later, but how different all of these different sequels have been in how they work, how they develop the original story. And this one, I love character-driven stuff anyway, and this one is all about the characters. The plot, it does matter, but it's so much less important than seeing these people, how they work, how they interact, and the conversations that you have, because there's so much conversation, there's so much interesting dialogue. And I think it's such a gorgeous, interesting way to tell a story in a way. And it's not satisfying in, in all the ways that we see because I haven't yet seen the third one so I don't know how it ends which is something I'm very interested to look at well, that's good I, I mean you've got that intrigue then to carry on watching that series and and hopefully it fulfills that you know demand of having the ending that you want to see um and I I, I can't wait for you to watch that the third one when you finally get around to seeing that so I'm well, that's good so that third one has to be my least favorite though the third one. Oh, don't yeah. say that. Oh, you ruined it for Sorry. Herbie. <laughs> oh, Shivani. <laughs> I'm not going to watch it now. He still wants to know how it ends. <laughs> yeah, you still do need to watch it because it is, it is, it will round everything off for you in 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 sets in some satisfying ways, maybe, and some maybe not, perhaps. But maybe that's a discussion to have for another topical talk. <laughs> um, cool. So that is all of the films uh, that we've put forward for um, sequels. Um, for topical talk um, so we're going to now head over to the last part of the episode where we join the Overlord joins the discussion properly and gives his final verdict on uh, this week's episode so we're now at the end of the show where the Overlord joins the discussion and picks his final number one choice uh the one that rules them all and will go into the dvd collection um herbie thank <laughs> you for overlording on this episode um how have you found the show today yeah it's been really great thank you for having me on i found it really interesting hearing this discussion about such a wide range of films and it's amazing how wide a range you can get under the very broad topic of sequels to discuss and the diversity and what's been chosen is is really impressive so yeah thanks for having me on no worries. Um, so do you want to give us your rundown, your thoughts, your final surmises, uh, and then uh, give us your, your number one? Yeah, so I would like to first of all give a special shout out to Shivani for helping me sway my personal opinion on a film that really disappointed me when I watched it because I hate going into a film excited and coming out disappointed because it, it's just awful, isn't it? You build up this expectation and it turns out to be something that you didn't want or didn't like. And Shivani has actually made me look at it retrospectively as a much more enjoyable film in the way she talked about how it builds up and how it doesn't necessarily have to have higher stakes in terms of an overarching, like really dramatic level in order to be just as important. So thank you, Shivani. Oh, 
Oh, well, you're welcome. It's still not in my top three, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So unfortunately, I I would have to discount the two films I haven't seen because I just can't give as informed... uh, and as informed a response as I would like to. So sorry, David, for The Godfather 2, and sorry, Craig, for Die Hard of Vengeance. But I will, I do intend on watching them because both franchises are incredibly iconic, and you have given me far more reason to watch them than I would just other than the fact they're, su- they're, they're supposed to be really famous films. So thank you to you two again. And and then looking at the other films, like I said before, it's 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 amazing how much diversity there is in the style, in the genre, in everything of these films. Even compared to the first, going to the second one, like Spider Man Two, takes quite a cartoonish, outdated first film and builds it into something really interesting and something that's lasted over. I think it's sixteen years ago it came out. Over sixteen years of development, even with all those Marvel films in the middle, to still be really interesting. And really relevant today. I mean, that scene with the New Yorkers, like protecting Spider-Man's identity, really captures the spirit of Spider-Man. And this is coming from someone who hasn't read the comics, where he is supposed to be a New Yorker first and foremost. And it captures that post 9-11 spirit with the film and just develops the original film into something so much more interesting and so much more powerful, I think which is very similar to Toy Story 2. And then it takes the original film, which is groundbreaking, but quite straightforward and builds it into something really something special that once again is still remembered over 20 years as it, after it came out as being like the cream of the crop of animated films, not just sequels, but animated films in, in general as being something incredible. And then we go into something like The Two Towers, which is very much, it's, it is one whole film, The Lord of the Rings. That's how I've always considered them, as being one whole film split into three. And that then becomes a very different sort of sequel in that it directly continues a story. Like a lot of these films take place after, or like like with The Godfather 2, partly before to help inform what goes on in the sequel. And The Two Towers... And, and yet it still develops and challenges the story in the first one by splitting up the characters and giving them something else to do and seeing how they interact with each other and seeing how the plot unfolds, which for Lord of the Rings, it's the characters that are important, obviously with any film, but the plot is is also really important. And I don't normally enjoy such plot-heavy films. I'm always very, like, if you look at my top five or ten or whatever favourite films, because it changes all the time, they're all very character-driven where the plot takes a back seat, whereas this one, the plot is so important because you you need to see what happens. You want to see what happens to Middle Earth, what happens to the rest of the characters. And then that launches us into something like Before Sunset, where the plot really is not important at all. What you want to know all about is these characters, what they mean to each other, how they talk to each other. And unlike The Two Towers, which continues straight after um, The Fellowship of the Ring, Before Sunset takes place nine years after Before Sunrise, and yet you can still see these same characters develop and grow and build. And what happens off-screen is just as important as what happens on-screen, which is something that's very tricky to get right, I think, because you need to show and not tell, which is a classic um, rule in story in storytelling and filmmaking mm. that you you can't you can't just tell people what's happened. You need to see it in how the characters react and how they behave. You can't just be told, oh yeah, I did this, I did that. You need to see it in their actions and in the way they talk. And then that brings us back to Empire Strikes Back, which is such an iconic film. 
that it has been remembered throughout the years as being like the definitive sequel in that it takes the first story and builds it into something so much more. It develops it into a wide ranging, a wide arching universe that is just teeming with life, teeming with characters and one that despite what some people have thought of the sequels and the expanded universe will continue to yield interesting stories for years to come for Star Wars and for the rest of cinema because the first one once again was a very groundbreaking story in its effects in its story and stuff like that and the second one does the same thing over again which is incredibly impressive not just by being the first one to do it but by being one of the early ones to do what it did in such an impressive manner in a way that we still remember it today so that leads me into ranking my top three films I think and um, before we go into my top three, I think I'd like to just give a shout out to my favourite sequel of all time, which is a franchise that is quite close to my heart. And I love Harry Potter. Sorry, everyone who doesn't. And I do think, <laughs> and I do think the Prisoner of Azkaban is my favourite sequel of all time because, thank you everyone. That's very nice because it it challenges what has been established for Harry Potter. The first two were very simplistic, straightforward adaptations of the books and this third one upset quite a few fans by not being such a faithful adaptation but it took both the book that it's being adapted from and the seek and the prequels that came before it in changing and developing what it means to be a harry potter film in like in in the darkness of the film in the way the characters talk and in ignoring certain plot threads in order to give us a more satisfying story that can act i think as a bit more standalone we do not need to see the first two to understand a lot of what's going on in the harry potter film and also we don't need to read the book which is really nice because the first two i think have to you have to fill in so much more from the book whereas the third film i think the changes from the book don't matter in the film which is really nice to see so it is the best book yes i well, I actually like the um, fourth and the fifth ones more, but I think the third one is very impressive and that it tells such an interesting story in half the amount of time. The fourth and fifth are quite sad. The, the third one is the last one that is just like a nice, happy listen. Sorry, we're I mean, not here to talk about Harry Potter. <laughs> no, sorry, I went, went off tangent a bit trying to justify, just to give you a bit of an idea of what I value in a sequel. And so for that reason, I think... My number three would be, as much as I love it as a film, would be The Two Towers, surprisingly, which really surprised me looking at this list. that I Because I see the choices as they come in. We all see what other people have chosen. And I thought, well, Two Towers, that'll be my favourite. Of course it is, because it's my favourite individual film of all of them. But The Two Towers is my third favourite, because while it's a very effective sequel, I think the other two that are in my second and first place just do so much more with the concept of what it means to be a sequel. So, in my number two spot is Before Sunset. Wow, cool. I thought Craig would be very happy about that. Um, Because, like I said, it it challenges what it means to be a sequel, what it means to be a development of a story, in that it takes place nine years after, in that it isn't a direct continuation of a story. There's so much left in the middle that isn't important in a way. It's still important. But it just impacts it has so much impactful meaning without having to continue the story directly like the two towers does which is understandable given that they're completely different stories and it's so hard to compare sequels in that way 
because do you look at the story as a whole? Do you look at just the sequel by itself? But I think if you have to consider the rest of the films as well, and on an individual basis, I do think Before Sunset is my second top pick out of the ones that I've been given. Which brings us on to my number one, which I think (laughs) may have been clear in the way I spoke about it just now in Star Wars, in that The Empire Strikes Back would be my ultimate number one for a sequel film. So thank you, Floss, for suggesting that. Hey, well done, Floss. I was surprised no one else picked it. It was, um, you know, open season on picking sequels, and I thought it's kind of obvious. But, yeah, thanks, Herbie. And, and, yeah, I I just think it it challenges what it means to be a sequel, what it means to be a continuation of a story, and does it in such an interesting and, and a fresh way now. Like, we all know the twists, we all know the turns of a story. And I watched it again the other day, and even then, it just blew me away with its storytelling, with the way it, it builds its characters from the original one. Because I watched all three of the sequ- uh, original trilogy sorry, over the course of about three days. And yeah, it was just a brilliant continuation of a story while setting up so much more and being so much more than A New Hope could be. And it just took its chance to really embed itself in my brain and it really has done because it's just on another level for me wow well herbie thank you so much for overlording this episode and uh choosing your number one and well done to floss for getting that number one um without number three uh, and number three yeah well done christ well done floss Floss. well done floss so we have now come to the end of the show shivani will you read us out with the, the scripted ending bit that we do Uh, well thank you for listening to Topical Talk we hope you've enjoyed listening to this month's episode the next episode of Topical Talk will be out later this month in June and it will be family films if you'd like to let us know what films you'd suggest as the best family movie you can contact the show through our many social media accounts and email what are they David? you can email the show at mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com the email address again is mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com or you can send us a message on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Just go to the website isitworthitpodcast.com and click on the links to our social media. And to help the podcast to grow, why not leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? You can subscribe to the podcast today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Acast to name but a few and of course wherever you're listening to this right now we'd like to thank our current patreon supporters for their patronage during this time of difficulty now we understand it's a struggle at the moment for a lot of people out there uh, and we're part of that too so creating content just like this can go a very long way for everyone involved and i guess all that's left to say for us right now is a big thank you and take care and goodbye from me goodbye from me goodbye everyone Stay safe and goodbye from me. Stay safe and well and goodbye from me.